This is Reimagining Healthcare, a podcast about innovation in the healthcare industry. It's a show for healthcare business owners, for healthcare professionals, for industry investors, and health tech entrepreneurs. On the show, I talk to health tech and healthcare innovators to uncover how they're reimagining and building a world of seamless digital healthcare experiences and how that fits into people's lives. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Harrow Stockman, founder and CEO of Kepler Vision Technologies, a company providing human activity recognition software to improve the well-being of humans at night. Harrow comes from a deep background in technology and after selling a successful tech business, decided to focus on innovative use of AI and machine learning in the health tech areas of human activity recognition. This leads to a more detailed discussion of how Harrow and KeplerVision have optimised their human activity recognition based on real-world settings in aged care using the pre-existing CCTV camera feeds fed through the KeplerVision software. This is currently helping night nurse programs serve as an advanced domotic system that keeps patients safe and reduces the stress and workload of staff in the elderly care space. And Harrow's statistics on time, motion and cost savings will blow your mind. Harrow also describes the use of the innovative care software and its simplicity to aged care providers. That is, if there is help needed, the nurse receives a message, and nurses can also look into automatically generated reports about the night rest of their clients, providing them with valuable information to help with the care. Imagine the impact on supporting all of our loved ones, knowing that you'll be notified if there's an issue, or likely to be an issue. This surely will be a welcome and easily implemented solution in aged care, or possibly even disability settings, where the potential for machine learning driven human activity recognition to cut down on the workload of healthcare staff will improve work conditions and minimise risk to patients under care. Let's jump in. Well, hey there, Harrow. How are you doing today? Thanks for coming along. Thank you, Yanni. It is uh, great to be in your show. Uh, Seven o'clock here in, uh, in Amsterdam. I'm doing good. I've been really looking forward to having this conversation with you because we're going to be talking, amongst other things, about what you're doing with activity recognition. So super exciting. But before we get into it, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about your journey, where you came from and how you got to this point. I have a PhD in computer vision. And at the time, uh, the university excelled in video search and we computer competed at, uh, at, at benchmarks where we beat uh, very large organizations and very large uh, universities. And I then had the thought of bringing that software to the market to not just keep it uh, in academia. It could do object recognition. In, it could recognize what's going on in, in a photo. And we could recognize cats, dogs, and sunsets. And that company became uh, quite uh, successful. We were the very first ones that uh, could run this software consisting of deep convolutional neural networks on mobile phones. And the company got uh, acquired in 2014 by Qualcomm, world's largest manufacturer of uh, mobile phone chips. My idea was what comes next. Moving up the stack, uh, we had object detection, and now comes body language recognition and human activity recognition, and that is you need the time element in a video, so you need to, to, to see not only what, what happens now, but also what, what happens next. For instance, a patient getting out of bed or a person falling on the floor. And you also need to recognize 
in context. So is he lifting up a cup? Is he laying on the floor or is he laying on, on the couch? So that was the journey. And then with very new technologies, the problem is always what is the market for it? And we were blindfolded. You know, we thought maybe it's self-driving cars or surveillance or, or, or retail. I think you also need to spend your time in life wisely. We figured that the care industry would be the most, would, would benefit the most from this technology. And that is in the Netherlands, but, but also in the whole of uh, the Western world. Uh, there's a, a complete lack of caregivers. Netherlands alone, 100,000 open vacancies, they are not going to be filled. On top of that, 25% of the current staff working in care is going to retire in the next five years. So the problem is get, going to get worse. And on top of that, because of aging population, the demand for care only explodes. So we thought that uh, putting activity, human activity recognition, understanding what goes on using technology would benefit providing better care for patients if, uh, if, there, if there's no human beings uh, around. So that's sort of the, a long introduction to uh, what we try to do, what we're building. Ah, that's great. That's great. It partially explains why I read that you had a bit of an interest in uh, Japanese hybrid mechanical watches as well. You seem to be um, very adept with technology and engineering and and thinking about the way things work. Would that be a, a fair summary? Yeah, and how they work and how they can be used in future. I think that's that's the most uh, interesting thing. That and then the thrill to see that work. You know, with, 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 with your engineering team and you know, or, you know, to the best of your knowledge, you think, well, we must be the first humans to experience this technology now. That is the kick. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's so much potential in it, really, when you think about it. I guess from a, from a healthcare standpoint, uh, it's interesting to hear about some of the shortages in the healthcare workforce. And certainly here in Australia, there are areas of uh, healthcare that are experiencing the same problem. It's quite common to hear about burnout and a, and a variety of other challenges when the existing healthcare workforce is pushed, you know, to the limit in order to to meet the demand, I guess, of clients and uh, patients in various settings. So, I think is kind of a typical problem in uh, advanced economies. Uh, I think uh, healthcare workers are generally considered to be some of the biggest opportunities for career progression in the coming years especially beyond the pandemic response and some of the transformation opportunities that are coming about through that. Thinking outside the box and looking at how technology and digital health innovation can actually improve the lives, not just of patients, but also of the, the caregivers, I think is a, is a universal problem to solve. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I completely agree. It is true that the well-being of, of patients is very important, but, but next to that, it's also the well-being of, of the caregivers that's extremely important, and especially now in the times of, of COVID. And how that reflects to, to our technology. So our technology, it does things like, like fall detection, and it recognizes if a person is in bed or out bed, uh, and so on. So that clearly improves the well-being of patients. If a patient falls, if a patient is in the bathroom too long, we can instantly report that to the caregiver. It also makes the life of the caregiver much easier because, you know, if you, if you choose for a career in care, you want to provide care, you want to, you want to deal with patients, 
you don't want to chase uh, the patients unnecessarily, do rounds unnecessarily, and so on. So our technology, on the one hand, it, it makes caregivers more productive, but another interpretation of that is allows caregivers to spend much more time with, the, with their patients instead of doing all sorts of unnecessary routines. That's a good segue into talking about the solution and uh, talking about Kepler Vision Technologies. That's the name of the company that you've recently started up. Tell us a little bit about the technology and the approach to actually addressing some of those challenges in the healthcare workforce. So our technology, it is uses computer vision and it uses machine learning. So that is an artificial intelligence application. Uh, how it works, uh, you have a, a care facility in the rooms of the clients and into in the hallways and into general rooms. Either there are already cameras or we ask the, the, the care facility to install those cameras. Instead of having human beings looking at what happens in the rooms, we have software that monitors what is going on. It looks at the, the, the video stream that comes out of the camera and we recognize a series of uh, human activities. We recognize, and, and objects, we recognize where is the bed, we recognize what is the floor, what is the wall, we recognize what are the doors. We recognize the patient itself, whether he's by himself, or whether there's a, someone wearing a nursing uniform is there. We recognize if he's standing up, bending down on his knees, and so on. And, and that combination allows our software to look after the well-being of the client. And if the patient has fallen, or if the patient has difficulty struggling out of bed, or if the patient has gone into the bathroom, if they slip, it's often in the bathroom, uh, we, our software monitors that the duration of the toilet visit does not exceed 20 minutes. So if it's longer than 20 minutes, we send an alarm to the caregiver. And that improves the productivity by 50 up to 70%. So it frees up the time of the, of the caregiver. Our software can generate an automatic report that, that says what went on with, with the patient. That sort of uh, describes it. It sounds relatively simple, but it's not that easy technically. So let's sort of break that down a little bit. So I'll just paraphrase what I understood there. So the segment that you're targeting is the aged care setting where there are residents who are under supervision and being cared for by the uh, aged care provider. And they've got a pre-existing CCTV infrastructure that is bringing those video feeds to, as per normal, through to some sort of uh, recording or control environment where people are looking over those things, as an example. And that's typically the security environment. The way that you're working with it is you're leveraging those video feeds in order to then pass those feeds through the Kepler Vision Technology software and then look at the activity of movement of residents in those environments and the software is then recognizing whether that activity is considered normal or not normal and to the extent that it's considered not normal the software is then alerting and notifying key people to be able to respond to uh, the, the notifications and alerts that are coming out is that a fair summary harry that that is a great summary Yanni. So to that end, the activity recognition piece is key 
to ensuring that the accuracy and reliability of the notifications is consistent with what is considered to be not normal activity or not normal behavior. How accurate is the activity recognition software that you've built? What sort of a process is there to firstly get the right activities and understand what is normal and what is not normal, and then move towards, I guess, the efficiency and effectiveness of the reliability and the quality of the system. Talk us through that. Out of the box, our software performs reasonable. The reliability of our software, so if a patient has fallen, our our software recognizes that by by 95% or 99%, and it generates a false alarm, I think once every five days. Uh, However, artificial intelligence means you can train the system, you can improve on it. So what we do in the first two weeks or so, we have uh, humans that inspect when an alarm goes off. And we check whether that alarm went off correctly or whether it was a false alarm. And if it was a false alarm, we add that to the training set. And after two weeks, we have collected all the false alarms that, that then went off. We then retrain our system iteratively repeat that process, maybe one time, two times, three times. I think we've never done it more than four. I think the maximum was three times. And then after three times, it's stable. Um, And sort of depending on the quality of the camera, we now have one customer where our false alarm rate is one out of, we have one false alarm per room for every 186 days, which is really astonishing. I had never thought that when I started that out this company, the software would be that good. And we have missed two. One was the patient had fallen, but she was sitting against the wall. And, and our software thought, yeah, it's sort of an interpretation. So the patient couldn't get up anymore. If, if you're 90 years old and you're sitting against the wall, that is also a fall. But, but our software hadn't recognized it as such. So that is a, a thing that we now added to our software. So next time someone is sitting against the wall, uh, we still ring the alarm. The other one that we didn't see, the patient had fallen, but was was crawling forward. So our software didn't figure out what what exactly was was going on. So there's still room of of improvement, but but in principle, the reliability, I think 99 out of 100, or maybe even 100 out of 100 falls we detect. And the false alarm rate is, is really, really low. That's fantastic and a real credit to you. One false alarm per 186 days. And I say that not that I'm an expert in um, AI or machine learning or activity recognition, but most of the literature that I've looked into around activity recognition talks to, I guess, the evolution of the technology, I guess, the innovation within activity recognition and how that has uh, been generally less reliable in the wild than it has been in sort of really controlled settings. But I understand that there has been some evolution. Perhaps you could sort of unpack under the hood a little bit in terms of how that approach to activity recognition is different with Kepler Vision versus perhaps where activity recognition was three, four years ago. Yeah, so I think the trick has been that our software operates in a very controlled environment. So the camera is fixed in the ceiling and it, and it never moves. So if you add a few examples to the training set of that particular room, then two or three or four is, uh, is enough. 
to filter out the noise and let the system focus on 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 what matters. That is one part of the trick. It is a difficult task because compared to image recognition, we we have to do more. We have to recognize both where, where are the the doors, where is the floor, where is the bed, where is the where where is the chair, where is the person? Is the person by himself? Is he standing up? And so on. And if you know anything about probability recognition, you know if you recognize something by by with with, with a 90% chance, and you recognize the other thing with a 90% chance, and then if you combine them, you have to you have to multiply the probabilities. So 90% here and 90% there multiplied, then that probability reduces to 80%, 81%. We have to do that for a number of items in the room, and we have to do that over a series of of frames. So if we make a mistake somewhere. That mistake will leak through in all the results. That is the the difficult part of of making this work. Another difficult part of making this work was uh, so artificial intelligence is very good in recognizing things of which you have lots of training examples, but training samples for people that have fallen, they are not on YouTube. Uh, it is extremely difficult to put a training set together. And I think that is one of the things where adding more training data from different care organizations helps us to improve on the quality, the, the recognition capabilities of our system. Every time someone falls somewhere in the care centers that we that we monitor, you know, it's it's bad that women fall, but however, we add that training data to to our set, and by that, our artificial intelligence is is improving over time. I could see a tremendous amount of value for that. You are training the system initially, aren't you? And 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 always always the AI doing most of that heavy lifting is, it, or is it a hybrid kind of approach where there's initial training and then, based on those known activities and those that growing kind of understanding of the environment and the movement, the AI starts to scale quite easily after that. Initially, when I started out this company, my idea was would be that the AI continues to learn indefinitely from video streams at, at, at patient locations. There is one issue though. Uh, we also have to deal with, with privacy and we have to deal with the general feeling about people being monitored by cameras in our sales. So, so we, we have to tackle two problems as a start. One is uh, getting the technology up and running and the other one is getting it sold. And to yes. get it sold, <laughs> we have to get past the data protection officer. And data protection officers are not very fond of streaming data, streaming video endlessly for years in a row to uh, to an AI company. So we, we, we came to a balance. We, we now say, okay, let us improve on our system for, say, two months. And after two months, we cut it off. After two months, we don't approve your software anymore. They're already very happy eh? because you know that they can get a system that has one false alarm per 180 days. My aim is to get a system that has one false alarm per thousand days, but that depends on on access to data, and that is difficult. So that is how we settled for the for the current situation. So sometimes three months. We cut it off. That's it. From then on, the system will learn from new patient locations. 
it's an interesting uh, challenge. And I have a, a great deal of sympathy with you, Harrow, on that. But I wonder whether at some point the concept of de-identification of the activity could be another um, layer of innovation there where the video feed, whether it's high definition or standard definition, could be perhaps anonymized by virtue of overlaying something that references the activity points but is not necessarily the underlying human that has been recorded anymore. And so it becomes meta. It's a, it's a meta representation of the activity and maybe that could be used to uh, move it further into the system. But it's still a difficult story to tell that to a non-technical person. If we say, okay, after two months we don't record anything anymore, the system is by itself, that is easy to understand. If we say, well, we're going to anonymize the data. And, uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> it is a challenge. That, that, is a, that is a challenge. No, there's no doubt. And I just love solving these types of problems because I, I'm well aware of both sides of how challenging uh, data or perceptions around data privacy, because let's be honest, I think the the level of data privacy that people actually have versus what they think they have is not the same thing. <laughs> no, 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 no. We have ISO certification. And in the Netherlands, we need to have a NEN certification. We have registered as a medical device. We, we have taken so many steps to absolutely make this very secure and very private and so on. And, and, and we ask for written permission by the, by the client yeah. or the patient to process the data. And then people that they send me an email with a Gmail account that they're still not satisfied with with, with our privacy uh, measures. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is that is the thing that is, uh, you know, if if you are concerned about privacy, why do you have a Gmail account? Yeah, absolutely. And and that sort of goes to my point. I mean, without sort of spending too much time on this, but when you think about modern PCs and mobile phones, they not only have cameras in them and uh, microphones that are activating, not necessarily always as expected or always consciously in terms of the user's operation but they also have um, infrared cameras as well and you know that people briefly sold the idea that they can use their face to you know disable the home screen but they don't actually realize that that thing can continue to feed their facial profile and their facial data so to speak potentially indefinitely there's a lot of things that i think consumers need to learn more about data privacy rather than sort of Fearing it, because when we come back to, I guess, those underlying problems, there's a lot of issues in healthcare where observing activity could actually be preventative, in this case, in, in your solution within the aged care controlled setting. Amazing value proposition to be able to avoid people hurting or getting harmed or hurting themselves in the context of movement, but uh, also helping uh, deal with some of the workload that is currently in place. I think I, I was reading one of your white papers was uh, talking about a a 40% reduction of uh, the caregiver's workload per evening. Notwithstanding that I'm genuinely really interested in technology and so I am probing some questions there for my own interest, I think we shouldn't take away... Uh, privacy is a very important issue, but I think we've got to get back to how important it is to find that way to blend technology and human interaction so that we can find a nice balance between a healthier workforce that's providing support and care for for patients not necessarily getting burnt out and you know shift work and tiredness and fatigue and you know and some of the issues that arise out of that could uh, could be mitigated that could be a, a happier environment for the workforce to be supporting people and you know what one in 186 days in terms of a false positive when you think about a 40 percent reduction every day in the amount of activity 
what is a normal scenario? Are there sort of, you know, 30-minute shifts, one-hour rotations? What, what are you seeing typically is the amount of activity and work that's needed by a human in order to mitigate the risk of somebody harming themselves through their activity? Those are two different things. So the normal activity that we see in elder care centers is that in the Netherlands, the, the nurses need to check on patients at night three times. At least 70% of all those checks is uh, is unnecessary and, and, and probably even more. So the number of rooms that actually need attention is for a whole night is, is only 30% or so. So actually, if, if a nurse would have known that beforehand, she could skip 70% of the rooms. So that, that is one thing. The other thing uh, of people hurting themselves, that is the... So we now also have a customer in, in a mental institution. The guy has one arm, but that one arm is tied to his back because if it gets loose, he will pull out his eye. And he already did that with, with the other eye. So their question is, can you adjust your software in such a way that if he, if the patient gets that one arm loose, we instantly get, 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 get a warning to prevent him to, to hurt himself. That kind of uh, demonstrates how valuable activity recognition could be in a variety of different settings and different uh, contexts in healthcare, not not strictly speaking in aged care. I was thinking about in Australia in particular, we have a very large scheme that is providing funding to support members of our community who have some disability. And there are a variety of settings that the healthcare workers need to provide those supports and where there are high care arrangements, this could be another use of the technology. Have you seen some areas in your customer community and in your country around outside of aged care as opportunities for Kepler? We are about to close a lead now with a with, uh, with hospital. Um, so that's outside aged care, but uh, their needs are, are pretty similar as in, in, in aged care. So in a hospital, uh, detecting if the patient is in bed, out of bed, trying to get out of bed. We have requests for home care, elder care, mental care, and, and hospital care. They make a lot of sense. So what are the alternatives for aged care providers, potentially hospitals, mental health care? providers, disability and the like, um, how are they doing it now? You know, what's the legacy environment look like? Either there is no technology in place, so they do it by uh, walking the rounds by, by the nurses. And the alternative that there is technology in place and that is sensor-based, uh, that there are floor mats. So if you get out of bed and you step on the floor, a signal goes off. There's a bed mat that if you leave the bed or turn around, it gives a signal. There are motion sensors that, that can tell if the door opens or closed. Also with, with CCTV uh, cameras where uh, you can manually outline like this is the door. And if something moves here, I need to get an alarm. The problem of these systems is that they do not articulate what is going on. So they will tell you something has moved. But it doesn't tell you uh, a pillow has fallen from the bed or the yep. patient has gotten out of bed. Yeah, it's like, a, it's like a light switch. You know, something, the light is on, the light is off. The door is open, the door is closed. As an example, you, you could deduce potentially some of what is happening, but it's not as meaningful as activity recognition that's yep. trained and categorized around those behaviors and those activities. 
that's kind of an example where, you know, people understand CCTV, there may be a magnetic alarm or a trigger on a window or a door. So you get that sense of the switch, that kind of, you know, switch on off type indicator that something has happened, but it doesn't necessarily describe the activity that's happened. They generate all these false alarms and that causes the, the nurses to not trust them so much. Or if you get a 20 alarms or 40 alarms, you know, you think, well, you know, let's, let's skip this one. And uh, that's also one of the issues that we have, uh, the nurses that we also have to solve. Uh, the nurses don't trust our system so much because we almost never generate a signal. So we have to send a live beat every morning. Like, you know, Kepler vision, Kepler night nurse is still on, but the past night, everything was, was, was fine. So they know, okay, the system still works. <laughs> that's really interesting. <laughs> and that's being fed through to a mobile application. Is that right? For a nurse call system and, and the nurse call has, has, a, has a mobile phone or something, and we port our messages to that existing phone. You've got an environment that assuming there's been investment in those areas. There's a lot of IT that has to be installed, you know, as you talked about these pressure sensors and these other types of sensors. And, you know, when you're talking about floors and mats and, you know, chairs, and um, one thing you didn't mention was the pendants. As an example, there are pendants with alarms. Yep. They're very limited in scope. They kind of, you know, at a quick glance, they're like, oh, there's a, there's a pendant to alert somebody if something goes wrong. But if your patient is unconscious, that pendant's not going to work. It's always in, in the fruit bowl because they get it as a present from their kids. You know, that, hey, mom, if you fall, you, you, you can ring the alarm. Yeah. But it goes off by accident. You know, yeah. they try to get something from the refrigerator and, oh, it goes off. Fifteen minutes later, there, there are two guys from an ambulance uh, looking what, what, what went on with, with mom. So she will never wear that again. It yeah. Will be in the fruit bowl until the children come. Then she puts it on. When I think about the potential of activity recognition, that stuff seems very antiquated, very dark ages type approach. And it's really just a reflection, I guess, of the difference between how an industry operates versus where technology is at. Yeah. To me, you know, the idea of getting rid of all that heavy IT and all those extra things that could break and need maintenance and need support and need somebody sort of making sure that everything's working, just rely on eyes, you know, a video that is feeding that environment. And it's, it's just to help the people who are listening to the podcast. When, when a camera is positioned uh, in a room, that view of that room could be almost the entire room. You could use one camera that could replace right. so many micro IT devices that would otherwise be needed to track certain activity and trigger alarms, certainly, but not necessarily understand what's actually happening before you get there. So the video is like having a set of eyes that are overlooking this person and really providing a, a more personalized care and engaging the human caregivers based on known activities, based on what it actually understands is happening in that, in that particular environment. It's, it's a really powerful idea. And I really want to get that through to uh, the audience and people that are listening. The power of being able to use a video feed that can track activity and interpret that in a clinical context and be able to, you know, just do things more efficiently and more effective, which initially, you know, in the best interest of the patient, but have that corollary value proposition of making, uh, I guess, the stress of, of being on guard and looking out for somebody's uh, health and well-being easier 
by trusting the system and, and knowing that if something goes wrong here, we're going to get an alert. So if we're not getting an alert, everything's okay. That's a, that's a really powerful idea. And I think it's, it's kind of understated in your marketing, uh, Harrow. <laughs> I'd probably suggest to <laughs> tweak it a little bit and really bring that out because uh, I see just so much potential for, for what you've created. I mean, aged care is big, but I can see so much more potential for how activity recognition could be used in, in a variety of different settings. You, you summarize it uh, very well, and I will, uh, I, will, I will let the marketing department uh, know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but also, but the, the, the other thing is, as a businessman, uh, so I, I, I both see the future. Another thing, uh, yes, our technology replaces all those other sensors. It only makes it more difficult to sell because the system integrators, they make lots of money on, uh, yeah. on, those, uh, on those sensors. Yeah. You know, the, the, the pendulum, the, the bracelets, you know, they break, uh, they get lost, they need to be replaced, the guy needs to go there to, to, to fix it. There are lots of hours that traditional businesses are, are making on the old technology. We, we replace it with something that is much better, much more reliable. But not everyone is our friends in that, you know, because it is disruptive. It's an interesting insight, I guess, into um, the challenges where you've clearly got an innovation advantage with your technology uh, and yet culturally you need the industry to accept it as better and that's probably easier to do but then you have the incentives that are vested in the legacy vendor community that are resisting the change because their business models are, are threatened by it. It really just dawned on me there what potential challenge you have there. But having said that, in, in terms of people that are, are listening, what are you focused on right now that aside from making sales and, and growing, I think you've had a couple of years in now. Was it 2018 that you started up? Yeah, correct. And, and you've won quite a few awards. Yeah, so the most recent one was, was, was the Giant Health. So it is a startup. Uh, it, is, it is a competition for startups, and then we were the startup most likely to uh, scale up. And that was that. That was the prize that we won. So that that was uh, great. Uh, the thing that we're currently working on is the technology works. Uh, the innovation that we now have to do is selling it. Every objection that we have heard over the past, everything that prolongs our lead time before we can sell, those are the things that we tackle. One of the things that we heard often is currently our software runs into in, in the cloud on, on Amazon, on AWS. It's very secure. Um, the experience of, of people that do not have a technical background, they think, well, our, our data leaves uh, our premises and it is processed uh, on, uh, on servers of an American company. We don't like that so much. So we are currently and we will do a product release in, in April where we introduce a, a very small mini computer. It's, it's, it's the half of the size of my hand. And in it is a, is a, is a GPU, a Jetson GPU, a very, very hardcore piece of, of, of silicon. And we, we will put those mini computers on location in, in the care facility. And there, so the heavy lifting uh, processing of the, of the video will be done on-premise, so that data doesn't need to go to the cloud anymore. And I think that that will be a a big step forward also in cost-saving and 
we much less depend on a high bandwidth internet connection, which also saves cost. So functionality works, and now we're making it easier to install, easier to easier to operate. Fantastic. So what does your ideal customer look like at the moment? Elder care facility that is international and that has 10,000 beds. We focused on the Netherlands, but in this year, hopefully, also comes the time to go international. So we would like to find international companies that have locations in multiple countries so we can get experience with how that works. And the customer, I'm assuming it's relatively easy to get a proof of concept going for them, given that you're just plugging into a conventional CCTV environment? Yes, correct. Yeah, we also have a travel kit that we can send. So even though it's it's COVID, we, we can send a travel kit that, that has a, a camera, takes you 10 minutes to, to set it up and to experience it for yourself. That's fantastic. And you're able to do remote training and support of the system for customers here in Australia that, that may want to take up the, uh, the opportunity? Yes, we, we, we will make that happen. Can do. <laughs> that's the spirit <laughs> aged care specifically yeah uh, that's kind of you want to stay focused on that particular sector yeah so if we would go abroad we would go abroad with, with the standard offering and that is for the aged care in the Netherlands we are experimenting also with, with mental care and with, with hospital care but you know that's the advantage to do that in your local market you can you know get in the car and, and, and talk to the people whereas in Australia you know, because of the time difference, that, that would be less easy. With your uh, international strategy, are you looking to do it all from the Netherlands or are you looking for any distribution partnerships or any alignments in territories no, like Australia? Yeah, ab- absolutely. We are looking for distribution partners and, and resellers. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. I think I'd, I really want to get across those those awards. I know I'll put you on the spot there, but um, you, you won the Microsoft Innovation AI Challenge in 2018. You're in the global top 10. Congratulations. That's, uh, that's a great achievement. You also had the Future of AI, Innovative AI Competition First Prize winner in Europe, 2019. The big score in 2019, top 50 most promising European scale-ups. And uh, the one that you referenced there was the giant health event winner scale-up competition in 2020. So I understand the dilemma. You're in very early days, but you've got a real leading-edge idea. You've already got some customers that you're working with in the Netherlands. You're looking to expand. I think you've got a really bright future, Harrow, and uh, activity recognition in healthcare. I could just see so many different use cases and applications for the technology I pressed you a little bit about some other verticals to think about, but I totally understand aged care. Aged care is where it's at right now. We've got a very big aged care industry and and I hope there's somebody in the audience who is uh, in that space and is looking for ways to manage stress and uh, potential burnout and just overall efficiency in supporting people within those settings. And home care is a very big opportunity in Australia as well. That's uh, definitely expanding. I'll put a lot of links in the show notes, uh, Harrow, and hopefully there will be some uh, potential openings for you here in Australia. For me, I, I think it's a no-brainer and it's been great to have you on the show. Just before we finish off, tell me about the future. You know, if you have it your way, what's the world going to look like? And I guess what's the next step for Kepler Vision Technologies? Next step for Kepler will be we're looking to expand into the UK this year, see if we can successfully operate in a foreign market. If that works, we will make the jump to the United States next year or two years. 
and then become very big. And then what the future, yeah, so in principle, we, we have done a lot of innovation already. It, it, it is now a matter of, of rolling it out. The one thing that I very much like about this technology is that I have always been scared myself that, you know, you read those articles in the newspaper that an old lady died in her home and she was only found after three months. Yeah. I, I have always thought that would be so awful to, you know, to happen to me. This technology will prevent that. It will not happen anymore. You know, if something awful happens, an alarm will be sent and someone comes to help you. Thank you, Harrah. It's really great. I just noticed your daughter is waking up. It's nice and early there for you uh, this morning. But I really appreciate you coming on today and sharing uh, a little bit about Kepler Vision, where you've come from, uh, the problem that you're currently addressing in the aged care sector in a super easy implementation and a very clever way to go in terms of using uh, AI and uh, I guess the scaling opportunities of AI to be able to translate so many activities within so many rooms and be able to help health providers to be able to support those people in a more efficient, more effective way and do it in a way where I think not just you will scale, but also those uh, facilities might find some scaling edge by improving the ratio of people that are needed to actually look after a certain amount of beds or a certain amount of patients in that particular setting. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for for giving me time to uh, explain the, the Kepler story to you. And thank you so much for reinterpreting what I said. You, you say it much clearer even than I do, but maybe that's because you're a native English speaker and I'm not. Oh, well, look, I, I appreciate that. I, I like to paraphrase. It helps with my own learning. So sometimes it gets me into trouble, <laughs> especially with my wife. Once again, thank you so much. All right. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Health Tech X, where we are working toward a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people. If you'd like more info on how to get involved, head over to the website, healthtechx.com.au. Or if you have any feedback about the show, you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Instagram, or email by following the links in this episode's show notes. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to Reimagining Healthcare in your podcast app. And if you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos, and I'll speak to you in our next episode.